This afternoon I preach you the Word of God, the fourth commandment, Exodus 20, verses 8 to 11, as it's also confessed by the church in Lord's Day 38 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Lord's Day 38 of the Heidelberg Catechism is found in the Book of Praise on page 554, and the fourth commandment is God is, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The church confesses, asks this question, what does God require in the fourth commandment? And then we confess, first, that the ministry of the gospel and the schools be maintained, and that especially on the day of rest, I diligently attend the church of God to hear God's word, to use the sacraments, to call publicly upon the Lord, and to give Christian offerings for the poor. Second, that all the days of my life I rest from my evil works. Let the Lord work in me through his Holy Spirit, and so begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, as we hear of the promise of rest, it also makes us think of the times when we experienced unrest in our lives. We realize that rest is more than just stopping activities, and that unrest is more than just working. Sometimes we might have it that we're lying down and expecting to be resting, but our Our minds are working. We still are experiencing a a restless feeling, an unrest within us. Psalm 13 that we'll sing after, uh, later on in the same worship service, is a very good example of how anxiety, stress, depression can hinder our rest and cause unrest if we are filled with guilt or shame before the Lord, or if we have broken relationships with someone in our church family or perhaps at work, it causes that constant feeling of unrest. Saints in the Old and the New Testaments knew what it was like to be oppressed, burdened, anxious, and suffering. In Psalm 22, which points to Christ's suffering on the cross, The Lord gives the church words to express the struggle that we have to find rest, a soul looking for rest. When Paul in the New Testament describes the hard work he was involved in, he writes at one point in 2 Corinthians 2 verse 13 that his spirit had not been at rest because he couldn't find his brother Titus. And later he explains that due to the hardships of his work, He writes, our bodies had no rest. Well, the gospel message for the church in the fourth commandment 
is that the Lord wants his people to enjoy the blessedness of rest. In the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord Jesus showed us what that rest looks like. And I preach to you the gospel of Jesus Christ under the following theme, citizens of the kingdom can find rest in Christ. We'll see the blessing of rest and the enjoyment of rest. When the Bible talks about rest, it gives us a picture of peace with God and with our neighbor. Rest in the Bible doesn't mean that we don't do anything anymore, but it means that we live in a transparent relationship with the Lord and our neighbor in which we have the full assurance of the forgiveness of our sins, a conviction that we are fulfilling our responsibilities, and a joy to be living each day in peace with the Creator of heaven and earth who wants us to find rest in Him. The first full day of life for Adam and Eve in paradise was the day of rest and fellowship with the Lord, the seventh day, the first day for them. Life in the world as we know it began for mankind with a day that celebrates their peaceful relationship, their peaceful fellowship with their Maker who knows all things, forgives all things, and yet delights to have us walk in fellowship with Him. When we are at peace with the Lord, we can say the words of Psalm 116, verse 7, that was the display text today as you were walking in. We sang it together as well. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. This biblical experience of rest after the fall can only be found with God in Christ Jesus our Lord. As sinners who are constantly fighting against the inclination to cause harm to ourselves or to our neighbor and offend God, we are restless until we find rest in God's grace. The curse described in Revelation 14 verse 11 is that the enemies of God have no rest day or night. The gracious promise of the gospel is that when we believe in Jesus Christ, he sets us free from the dominion of the devil and the slavery to sin. Christians are set free from the bondage of the tyranny of the evil one and all his hosts so that they may be able to pursue their desire to worship the Lord according to His commandments. In Hebrews chapter 4, the Holy Spirit assures us that the promise to which God's grace to the people of Israel and Egypt was pointing, that promise is a reality for anyone, everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. The Lord says that the promise of entering His rest still stands, Hebrews 4, verse 1, for we who have believed enter that rest, Hebrews 4, verse 3. The fourth commandment is found in the context of this, this greater promise of rest in Jesus Christ. And the urging of the Holy Spirit that we read together in Hebrews 4, verse 11, is to strive to enter that rest, to strive to enter that rest. As the Lord had worked 
six, on six days to create the universe and the people within it, so His creatures are called to work for six days. And as the Lord stopped working on the seventh day to enjoy all that His hands had made and for refreshment, you can read in Exodus 31, so He hallowed the day. He set it apart. He made it holy for His people to enjoy it together with Him. That one day of rest that God commanded His people to observe and to remember in the fourth commandment, it then served as a symbol and a promise of the fullness of rest that we have in Jesus Christ. And so in Exodus 31, the Lord speaks of the Sabbath rest as, a, as an eternal sign. A sign between God and His people throughout their generations that the Lord sanctifies His people. In verses 16 and 17 of Exodus 31, the Sabbath day is called a covenant forever and a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and on the seventh day He rested and was refreshed. With these strong words, the Lord made it clear that even after the fall into sin, He continues to want His redeemed people to remember their rest. One writer, his name is Sinclair Ferguson, he called this seventh day a weekly Father's Day. A weekly Father's Day where children and father could enjoy the work of his hands together. The seventh day then became a reminder of God's creative power and the rest of paradise. It became a promise of the complete freedom from the dominion of slavery to sin in Jesus Christ. A, a beacon of hope pointing forward to the day when all people will be able to walk with their Father in heaven in perfect fulfillment of their mission, their mandate in this world to work to, in relationships and in worship. In the Old Covenant, the rest, the day of rest followed the, the week of work. But in the New Covenant, restoring to us the experience of Adam and Eve in, in paradise, the week began with rest. For our works flow from the grace of God to us in Jesus Christ under the guidance of the Holy Spirit who was poured out for us on that first day of the week, Pentecost. We can see that the Lord was very gracious to make the Sabbath for man as our Lord Jesus says in Mark 2, verses 27-28. to 28, And then to command His people to remember this Sabbath day as a unique day among the weak. Now the question for the Christian church today is whether or not the Son of Man, who is Lord, even of the Sabbath, has commanded us to continue to begin our weeks with a day of rest and worship. What is the enjoyment of this rest look like for us today? The close connection between rest in Jesus Christ and the day of rest in the history of the church makes a careful observance of the Lord's Day in the Christian church a wonderful tradition full of symbolism and meaning and hope. The question that many people have today, however, is whether God still commands us to rest on what the early church called the Lord's Day. The discussion that has arisen in the church in the last 50 years or so 
is whether or not the church can bind its members to this command to rest. Many have interpreted Paul's response to the Colossian heresy that mentions feasts and Sabbaths to mean that the Holy Spirit considers it a matter of indifference whether or not we have a Lord's Day and rest on it. Many claim that our new freedom in Christ includes the freedom to stop commemorating our creation, redemption, new life, and rest in Jesus Christ on one particular day of the week. There are many who have also concluded that it is Old Testament Jewish and legalistic to hallow one day of rest. And as a result, many people have taken the day back from the Lord for themselves so that they can do the things that they don't have time to do on the other days of the week. Confused about who their real family is, thinking that it's their blood relations and not the fellow members of Christ's church who desire to worship the Lord, and convinced that they are free to do whatever they want, many people have justified their disinterest in celebrating Christ's glorious victory and their own spiritual growth but by claiming that after Christ came, we should treat every day the same. Now it's very clear to us, sincere followers of Jesus Christ, that we should not be swayed by the arguments of those who have selfish or sinful motives for not wanting to rest on the Lord's Day. And yet, even if it's quite easy to ignore those who do not love the Lord and who do not hunger to hear His Word and hunger to sing His praises in a foretaste of heavenly joy and glory, we should not, for all this, ignore the position of those who sincerely love the Lord, love to hear His Word, want to worship Him in the communion of saints, believe in the blessed rest that Jesus Christ obtained, and yet see that the day of rest as, as a good Christian, they see the day of rest as a good Christian tradition rather than a commandment that must be obeyed by all God's people as it's fulfilled in Christ. And so we see there, there is a, some teeth to the debate, and the debate circles around whether or not the principle of having a day of rest is a creation ordinance or if it's just a temporary law introduced later at Mount Sinai that Christ fulfilled for us, just like he fulfilled the laws concerning the sacrifices and the temple. When we consider then that the Lord confirmed that the Israelites who did not collect manna on the seventh day in Exodus 16, that they were doing right, even though this was before the commandments had been given at Mount Sinai, and then that the commandments at Mount Sinai use, the fourth commandment uses the words remember and observe, which ex uh, indicates an existing practice. We find very strong arguments in favor of the position that the fourth commandment was a confirmation of the existing pattern that we could read together in Genesis 2, where, the Lord Jesus, where we read that the Lord blessed and hallowed that one day. You can see a comparison here to, for example, marriage is something that was already in creation and that is something that is later confirmed by the commandments. 
The next aspect of the debate has to do with the relationship between the Old and the New Covenants. Although the Bible is very clear that there is some discontinuity because Christ fulfilled many aspects of the Old Testament, we confess that the truth and the substance of all the shadows of the Old Testament remain for us in Jesus Christ. You can see the language that's being used is even similar to what we read in Hebrews 4. And that in Christ then, many of the principles of worship already that were existing in the Old Testament, they remain, but now in a fuller and a richer way in Jesus Christ. The best way to see the connection is to compare the Sabbath as a sign of the covenant, Exodus 31, to the other signs of the covenant. Just like circumcision was fulfilled in Christ, not by stopping all marks or signs of the covenant, but with a new sign, baptism. And like Passover was fulfilled in Christ with the ongoing celebration of the Lord's Supper, also the Sabbath sign of the sovereign Creator's victory over sin and death and His everlasting fellowship with His people is fulfilled in Christ in the celebration of what's called the Lord's Day. The practice of the celebration continues with some changes in form that are related to Christ's finished work. The other signs, we see that water, sign of blood, is changed to water, the sign of and blood to bread and wine. In the Sabbath, you see the last day of the week to the first day. But the meaning of the signs in Christ is now fuller. It's more rich. It's richer. It's a deeper comfort for those who believe. And it's not of little significance that the New Testament gives examples of God's people gathering together. Specifically, it's mentioned on the first day of the week. And it confirms that when our Lord confirmed that He had not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, He was including the principle of resting on one day in seven as a part of New Covenant Christian life. The fact that John speaks about being in the Spirit, and he says, this is Revelation 1 verse 10, on the Lord's Day, reveals that the church knew of a certain special day that he was referring to. They knew of a specific day that was identified as a day belonging to or dedicated to the Lord, even after Christ fulfilled the Old Testament Sabbath day. And indeed, the Lord's day is the day that points to the day the Lord rose from the dead and conquered the grave. It points to the day the Lord poured out His Spirit upon His church. And then we can see with great joy that our Christian life is not characterized with less celebration than the Old Testament, but more celebration. For we don't only celebrate creation and deliverance from slavery, but also our perfect Redeemer who has risen from the dead, who has ascended into heaven to intercede before the Father on our behalf and on whom He has poured out the Holy Spirit. And even though then it is true that there are good, faithful Christians who question whether or not this day of rest 
is a creation ordinance. All God's people, seeing the work of Jesus Christ, are happy to confess together that the Lord leads us by the fourth commandment in the Holy Spirit to do what we confess on the day of rest, to diligently attend the church of God, to hear God's word, to use the sacraments, to call publicly upon the Lord, and to give Christian offerings for the poor. The confession of the church unites her in her desire to train pastors and teachers and to worship the Lord on the day of rest according to the pattern of Christian worship that's given in the New Testament. And you can see that list in our confession is taken straight out of the Scriptures, out of Acts 2, verse 42 to 47, and 1 Corinthians 14, verses 26 to 33, and 1 Timothy 4, verse 13, and 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2. These are all the elements of the church in her worship on what was known as the Lord's Day. And although our Lord Jesus did not reaffirm the commandment to rest on the Lord's Day directly in the Sermon on the Mount, as we see this context, as we see the the life of the church, the understanding of God's people, we see how His Sermon on the Mount gives instruction to help us to understand the shape, what it looks like to have a Lord's Day. What does that rest and that celebration of rest look like? And so as we turn to to Matthew 5, it's like we're looking through a window and we're getting a glimpse of what it looks like to fully enjoy the rest that our Lord Jesus accomplished for us by His sacrifice and His obedience. After assuring us that He had come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, our Lord Jesus gave us a foretaste of the heavenly rest His church can begin to experience already in this life. Reading Matthew 5, we see already that He he went and He sat down on a mountain and His disciples came to Him and and the crowds around them also joined, uh, joined to hear his teaching. He was like the victorious king on a mountain who is giving access to all who believe in him to the glory of heavenly rest with their Father in heaven. In anticipation of the celebration of rest revealed to the Apostle John in his vision in Revelation 4, our Lord Jesus sat down with his disciples and the people of God around him. And then he proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom of heaven, Matthew 4, verse 23. He poured out the truth of heaven with, his, with teaching God's will. We can see this meeting of God with his people, with Jesus Christ in the center, being shown to us in Matthew chapter 5. And our Lord revealed the powerful transforming work of the Holy Spirit that is celebrated on our day of rest when He he explained what the citizens of the kingdom of God look like when they live in the rest that Christ obtained. And He gave a pattern 
of worship that, that the church continues to follow when she worships uh, the, the Lord on the day of rest as you look at the Beatitudes or, or the blessed statements and you, you follow them down. First speaks of the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit are those who recognize that they are completely dependent on the Lord alone. The poor in spirit like we do in the beginning of our worship service, we con- confirm, we, we confess our dependence on the Lord. And then the, the God's people, they, they mourn over their sins as they look to the Lord for comfort. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted with that promise of an eternal inheritance for their meekness. God's grace then leads us also in our worship service as we follow that pattern of our Lord Jesus' teaching in our hunger and thirst for righteousness. And so we we turn to God. We turn to His Word for the promise of the Gospel which is then read and, and proclaimed to us as a confirmation of the rest that we have in Jesus Christ our Savior. That rest that we can already experience in, on our, in our Sunday day of rest as a foretaste of eternal blessing. And celebrating our rest in Jesus Christ, having our hunger and thirst for righteousness satisfied in Christ. There's a desire to give our offerings to the Lord, to, to be merciful. The Lord Jesus said, blessed are the merciful. And then as He continues in the Sermon on the Mount, He gives instruction, for example, chapter 6, the first few verses about what that giving of the citizens of the kingdom of God should look like. And as we think about worship that's filled with with prayers, the Lord Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount giving us that picture of the day of rest, He shows us what our prayers should look like, the sincerity of our hearts. He gives the Lord's Prayer as a model urging sincere love for the Lord and our neighbor rather than hypocrisy in our worship. And sent out from our day of rest and fellowship with one another and being sent out into the world, God's people are called the peacemakers. Again, we can follow the Beatitudes to see the Lord Jesus as He gives us a picture of that worship of the church on the day of of rest, being peacemakers, going out into the world as salt and light to our neighbors. As we keep in step with the Spirit, we see that the entire revelation of the Sermon on the Mount is a revelation of the new life and rest that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ that we have the privilege of celebrating together as God's people on the day of rest. The Gospel message that He proclaimed through His grace and His mercy and His compassion, was and is that the weary and the heavy laden could enjoy rest in Jesus Christ. And isn't that what we experience every time we gather together as God's people? Mourning our sins and being comforted in Jesus Christ and being led by the Spirit in new life. Well, the rest in Christ that we especially commemorate on the day the Lord's day is something we may enjoy all the days of our lives as we rest from our evil works let the Lord work in us through his holy spirit 
And so begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. There's a connection between the Lord's day and, 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 and the rest of the week and the eternal rest with Jesus Christ. The blessings of the promise of rest in Jesus Christ that we especially remember in our weekly day of rest, they, they flow out. And so the Lord's day, the blessing of the Lord day, Lord's day flows out into all the activities of the week. And we see that no toil is meaningless. No suffering is without purpose. No slavery is permanent. For we are children of God in Jesus Christ. And the Lord has given us rest in His Son. We may fail in so many things that we attempt to do. Perhaps even struggling with a persistent disinterest in celebrating God's grace in our lives. But we see that promise. Jesus Christ has perfectly obeyed the fourth commandment, for He is the source of all rest. And when we turn to Him in humble repentance, we may hear His assuring promise that He has already obtained everything that we need to live in fellowship with God for all eternity. And that's how we begin our work week, our week of regular tasks, everything we need, has already been obtained. All that we do is for the glory of God in His kingdom. There is nothing we need to work for and earn for ourselves anymore. And our present sufferings and the stress and the anxiety and the illness and the feelings of inadequacy, they are temporary experiences that do not really compare with the surpassing glory of living at rest with our Heavenly Father who has blessed us with the promise of eternal rest. May we joyfully embrace His grace, prepare our hearts and minds for the glory of the kingdom that we have in Jesus Christ and enjoy the foretaste of the promise of the Lord's Day as we turn to Him and find rest for our souls. Amen.